Hey there! Did you know Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower-than-low prices? And when you download the Kroger app, you'll enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. And don't forget fuel points to help you save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. Want to save even more? With a Boost membership, you'll get double fuel points and free delivery. So shop and save big at Kroger today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Like to, to hear about who they would like to talk to. And uh, we scheduled to have uh, these people who you feel would be beneficial for you and to be able to support you during this time. Uh, Andy Speaks, in general, for those who don't know, who don't follow us, Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons is a right-based organization where we focus on championing for inclusion of, of neurodevelopmental disabilities. So we focus from autism to cerebral palsy to Down syndrome. We have a few of rare diseases. So we champion so that um, our rights are had. There is inclusion in all platforms on top of all the programs that we have. For all those who have followed us on NeuroDigest on Science TV, uh, this is more like uh, the new way of doing NeuroDigest, but a bit more inclusive, allowing you to take part into the, in the discussions and um, help you generally, because we don't want it to just be uh, someone comes, talks, 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 and that's it. We want to be part of it. We want to be able to help you uh, at your point of need. That means like one-on-one. -on -one. So today we're very excited. We have the very, 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 very first BCBA uh, in Kenya. I'm not sure if it's across Africa, but I know in Kenya she is the first, that is Fuja, who will be talking to us about behavior and how best we can manage this. I know we all are going through different, different new behaviors or old behaviors cropping up. And you're wondering, how do I deal with this on top of everything else? So Fuja, I would like to give you the floor so that you can take over and enlighten us and let us know uh, how best we can handle this and how to move forward. So Fuja, the floor is yours. So kindly introduce yourself and tell us uh, what exactly it is that you do, because most of us, uh, not all of us actually know what BCBA is, isn't. <laughs> so enlighten us and yeah, the floor is yours, Karibu. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, so my name is Pooja Panessa. I'm a board certified behavior analyst, which means my main area is studying behavior, um, changing behavior, and everything that that entails. So I have a presentation lined up, which um, I'll also discuss what exactly behavior is and what applied behavior analysis entails. Um, a little bit about me is I'm a director at um, Kaizora Therapies. Kaizora Foundation, and we work with individuals with various developmental disorders <clears throat> and strive to improving their lives and the lives of their families as well. So we have a center based in Karen, and that's where we run all of this from in Kenya. Um, okay, let me start with screen sharing then. And I'll just get started on that straight away. Can you all see my screen? Yes. Okay, fantastic. So like I mentioned, I'm gonna start with just talking about what behavior is because I think a lot of people think, when they think about behavior, they think about negative things, things that are not going well. However, <clears throat> behavior is anything that can be measured or observed. So here are some various pictures. You can see a child eating, 
walking, talking, running, screaming, pinching, those are also all behaviors. These are things that can be measured. So you can count how many steps you've taken. You can observe somebody eating. You can observe a pinch. You can count how many pinches. Those are all how you're going to define behavior and think about it. An easy way of looking at that as well is the dead man test. If a dead man does it, it's not a behavior. It cannot be counted as one. So just sitting still doing absolutely nothing. We don't want to look at that when you want to look at all the positive things as well that um, are happening that you can actually count. Behavior can change. And that's something that we all know. But it can increase and it can decrease. We can see both sides. So if you're looking at academics, for example, could be something that you want to see increasing. You're looking at aggressive behaviors or you're looking at something that's unwanted, you might want to see that decrease. So behavior can go in both directions. It's important to understand that, that even when you're talking about um, behavior, you're understanding that it could be anything that the child is doing positive or things that you don't want. <clears throat> so here is um, a formal definition of applied behavior analysis. The science in which tactics derived from the principles of behavior are applied to improve socially significant behavior and experimentation is used to identify the variables responsible for these improvements in behavior. Um, I'm gonna break that down for you. I know it sounds a bit daunting when you hear it for the first time. So what do I mean by it's using science principles? It's using evidence that has been uh, produced by actual data. So people around the world, people who are studying behavior have collected data to prove something works. This has been repeated with different people in different areas of the world. And that is how you're able to know that this is something that has evidence. And that is where evidence-based intervention stems from. I'm just going to switch off my printer. It's making noise. Okay. What do we mean by socially significant behavior? This is what is important to you. What is important in your environment with your family? And this can vary based from one family to the next. Somebody might have more importance on, I need my child to improve in academics, whereas somebody else might be looking at, I need my child to brush their teeth. So we're looking at behavior that is socially significant. What is important to you? If you have come with the need to teach your child to brush your teeth, there's no point in us saying, okay, let's leave that and work on academics first. We need to look at what is important to you. <clears throat> Identifying variables responsible. So this means that we need to know what works, what exactly works, not the 50 things that we tried in one go and then we saw a change, but which was the one thing that contributed to the change. So a good example for this is um, when people try diets. So you might see that, okay, my child is having behavior difficulty. I've had diet works. I'm gonna take out one, two, three, four, five, six things, and I'm going to add in supplements, A, B, C, D, E, F. And mm -hmm. fine, you might see a change in that, but you don't know what the exact thing is that created that change. That means when you want to reproduce those results again, or you're telling another parent, I tried these 20 things at the same time and I saw a difference, whereas it could have been just one thing that made that change. So it's good to identify the, the variables that 
exact things responsible for those changes. <clears throat> so what can ABA help with? So much. <laughs> Communication, social interactions, cognitive skills, self-help skills, reducing problem behaviors, emotional skills, um, coping and tolerance, more community participation, academics, vocations, so much more. And we've seen um, an increase in all these things at Kaizora as well, kids that we've been working with. We've seen academics go up, we've seen kids who have been integrated back into mainstream schools, those who have worked on vocations and are doing internships in places such as Safaricom and so on. So we know it works. And it is an evidence-based intervention, so we know it works. So we're gonna go through a few very basic um, concepts from ABA that you can apply at home as well. So these should help with managing difficult behaviors and increasing communication, and um, they'll help with overall life at home. <clears throat> so the first thing that I need to point out is it takes a very long time to become an expert in this field. And out of the training that we're having today, um, nobody can be an expert from this, but there are things that you're going to learn that you can do at home that will really help lives. And the learning never ends. Even so-called experts never stop learning. It just never ends. Science is an evolving field. So we always have to be on top of it. So here are some of the things we'll discuss. We're gonna talk about ABCs of behavior. We're gonna talk about reinforcement and punishment, functions of behavior, and a touch on functional communication training. Some of these might be new to you, some might be familiar, um, but we'll open for questions after as well. I'm gonna leave enough time for that. So ABCs of behavior. A stands for an antecedent. Antecedent simply means what's happening before. The behavior, we've talked about what behavior means. Consequence is what is happening after the behavior. <clears throat> Every behavior has something that comes before it and something that comes after it. And these influence whether that behavior happens or not, whether that behavior increases, whether that behavior decreases, all, all of it matters. So when we look at reinforcement, it basically means that reinforcement is something that is occurring after a behavior, which results in that behavior going up. So you do something, I give a consequence. And because of that consequence, you're going to do that behavior more and more and more because you're happy with the consequence that you're getting. So some of, some of the examples around that are rewards and stickers and praise, high fives, hugs. Um, these are some examples, but you also have to remember that everyone is different. What might be reinforcing for you might not be reinforcing for me. What might be reinforcing for your eldest child might not be reinforcing for the second child. It's important to also look at those differences. And the main thing we need to take from this is it means that the behavior is increasing, okay? Punishment is exactly the opposite of that. Um, there's a very different view of what punishment is in ABA and what punishment is viewed as in our society. So when we think of punishment, we think of, you know, 
you know, spank the child or something of the sort. Whereas in ABA, the whole thing behind punishment is when it occurs, whatever that you're doing happens after a behavior, it results in that behavior decreasing. That's the main thing we need to take. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I had one student who, every time he did something great, we used to clap for him. And you think clapping is always a fun thing. You clap for someone, they feel good. However, we noticed that over time, when we would clap for him, he wouldn't do that behavior as much, whatever it was, and it, even if it was something great. So clapping for this child was working as a punishment because it resulted in that behavior decreasing. Obviously, we changed our tactics very quickly at that point. And the other thing also to bear in mind is punishment is not as, well, it's effective, but it should never be used alone. You should always start with reinforcement, which is way more effective. So you have, you'll always have a behavior you're trying to increase and a behavior you're trying to decrease at the same time. So reinforce the one that you want seeing going up. That will be more effective than only trying to punishment, punish what you want to see going down, okay? I hope everyone's following so far. <laughs> so that's reinforcement and punishment. So when you look at those things at home as well, they're very, they're very effective. We've grown up in a society whereby we're, we're very used to being reprimanded or told off or shouted at or punished when we do something that is not good. Yet when we're doing things that are good, um, especially while we were growing up, you, you see silence. I mean, I, have the, I went through the 844 system as well. If you're doing it well, that's good. Keep going it. We don't want to touch it if it ain't broken. But if you mess up anywhere, you're going to get punished. So we need to flip that around. And we need to look at our kids and give them a lot of attention and praise and all kinds of reinforcement for things that they're actually doing well. Rather than paying attention on what they're not doing well, we want to really pay attention on what is going very well. So it's a bit of a mind shift, but it is very, very powerful. So looking at functions of behavior, um, when, whenever a child is doing something, there's always a reason behind what they're doing. There's a reason behind what we do, what we say. And it, so one of the things that I just want to point out as well in behavior analysis is we usually have to do an experimental functional analysis to confirm what the function of a behavior is. But we can always hypothesize what a function might be based on the ABCs. So we've talked about the ABCs of behavior. What happened before? What happened after? We can see the consequence can be reinforcing or it can be punishing, which means that C is going to contribute whether that B goes up or goes down, right? And if you need to figure out why something is happening, one of the best things is to just create a table in a book or somewhere and have A, B, C, and start tracking the behavior that you're concerned about. For example, if it is that um, the, you know, the child is kicking someone, you might start looking at, okay, so we know the behavior is kicking. What happens before this child kicks someone and what happens after the child kicks someone? And just tracking that for a little while. 
you will find a trend. You will usually see a trend that forms and you might not pick it up when you're just watching, but when you start writing these things down, you'll find a trend. And you'll also be able to track, is this behavior going up or is this behavior going down? So each kick can just be a number and you can count them during a day as well. So that if you put an intervention into place, you need to be able to know, is it working or is it not working? Is the behavior going down or not? So the four main functions that you will come across are attention, escape or avoidance, wanting access of something, and what we call automatic reinforcement. And I'll go through all of these. So here are some examples. Mom has, a busy, has been busy at work all day and she just comes home. Baby starts throwing things, starts crying, kicking a fuss. Mom leaves everything she's doing and she comes to hug the baby and sit with the baby. So here the child is obviously having these behaviors in order to get mom's attention. And the more mom is able to give attention for that specific behavior of the throwing and the crying, we're going to see that behavior increase as well over time. So again, consequence contributes to the behavior. This is an example of looking for attention. Attention can be looked up from your parents, from siblings, from peers, from the nanny, from the neighbors. The child could be looking for attention from anyone. So sometimes you need to identify what is going on in the environment. Second example, the teacher tells the child it's time to finish playing and go to class. The child runs away. So the teacher says, okay, you can continue playing. So this is a, a typical example of avoidance. The child is avoiding going to class. And you can see these behaviors occur when an activity is already going on and that is escape. So when the child doesn't want to do something and they're trying to get out of it, whatever it is, brushing teeth, doing homework, that is escape. If they're doing those behaviors before it even starts, you need to be a bit more creative and understand what was coming next because that is avoidance, okay? Third example, sibling is playing with the piano, child hits the sibling and snatches the piano and child gets the piano. So this is an example of access. When a child wants access to something, things that kids may want access to include um, toys, could include food items, could include um, hugs, activities, jumping outside on the trampoline, running away. Those are all different things that a child may try and obtain access to. Okay. And the fourth one, which is what we were calling automatic reinforcement, is here's an example. <clears throat> child has nothing to do, regardless of who is around at that time, so the child starts spinning. Regardless of what's happening before or after, the child continues spinning. So that is called automatic reinforcement and it's something many people also know as stimming. Um, children on the autism spectrum enjoy that a lot because the whole thing behind automatic reinforcement is the, the movement, the activity itself is reinforcing, which is difficult, to, more difficult to handle. Because if you look at attention, you look at escape and you look at access, all these three involve the presence of another person. 
So attention comes from another person. Escape, they're running away. It involves you trying to get them or them running away from you or something you are trying to present. Access as well, it's something they're trying to get from you. So those three involve somebody else's, which means it's more, it's easier to influence those behaviors because you can change your, um, the way you are around it. Whereas with stimming or with the automatic reinforcement, it's more difficult because it is intrinsically reinforcing. I do it and it feels good. It's like when you get an itch and you scratch it, it feels good, regardless of whether there's somebody else around or not. So interventions based on these functions, I wanna give you some ideas on what you can do. So when you see a behavior emerging at home, the first thing you're going to do is track what is happening? What's the ABC of the behavior? What's happening before the behavior, after the behavior? How many times is it happening? Who is it happening around? What time is it happening? You're gonna look at all those aspects. And when you look at those, you're gonna be able to see, oh, it's happening because he wants attention from so-and-so, or she's trying to get access to this item, or whatever the function is out of the four that we have already discussed. What do you do then? So for attention, we wanna do a few things. One of them is try and give the child attention before the behavior even has an opportunity to occur. Um, an example is if you know you've been away all day and your child does act up when you come home, you're going to, the first thing you're going to do is give that attention. If you are at home and you have a busy schedule, you might just ingrain it and even put a reminder on your watch or on your phone or something that every 15 or 20 minutes, you can see how long it takes for the child to have that behavior. And before that behavior occurs, you can plan that I am going to leave what I'm doing and give them a minute of attention, just so that they, they remain happy with that. And you don't have to wait for the behavior occur for them to get your attention inappropriately. The other thing is to teach them how to ask for your attention appropriately. So teach them, hey, if you need me, please just call me. You don't have to cry. You can call me whenever you need me and I will come. If they're non-vocal, you, the, you can tell them, come and tap me on my shoulder and I will turn and listen to you. I will see what you have to show me, what you have to say. And you have to make sure that you also follow through with that. The first few times, especially that they put any kind of attempt to get your attention appropriately, you need to reinforce that by giving them your attention. Sometimes it's not always easy. But again, you wanna make that behavior grow. The consequence you give to a behavior will make that behavior grow. It's like food, the C is the food for the B. So you wanna make sure those things are happening. In the case of escape and avoidance, talk to them about what is expected before. Um, a lot of our kids understand way more than we think that they do. They listen to us when we're having conversations in the room about different things. They understand a lot more than we, we, we can even imagine. Even if they're nonverbal, they're not yet speaking words, but they're taking a lot in. So talk to them. This is what we're going to do. This is what we, I expect you to do as well. If we're going to a new place, I would like for you to give so-and-so a high five. Give all those things ahead of time. 
and also teach them how to ask for a break. It's very important. You can use sign language, you can use picture cards. There's so many ways to teach a child to communicate. Communication is extremely important. So working on those kind of aspects of communication so that they understand if I'm not happy in a situation, I can ask for a break. And again, the first few times that they ask for a break or they complete something that was expected and they did not try and escape or avoid it, you must give them reinforcement for that so that we can see that behavior increase. If it's academic tasks, you might want to identify why they're avoiding or escaping. Is it that you're giving too much work in one go so it becomes overwhelming? Is it that it's too difficult and they haven't learned the prerequisite skills so you need to work on that first, okay? For access, this is the best place to teach communication. Um, get them to ask for what they want. It's as simple as that. Whether you provide pictures so that they can give you a picture to express what it is they want. You teach them signs. So if they want the ball, they can come and do the sign for you and you can give them the ball. And if, you, if they're working on speech, you might even start with just sounds. So if they want, I don't know, milk, and they're going to the fridge and they want to cry because they want something from there. You can even teach them something as small as mm. And then from there, once they get that, you can increase the sound slowly so that they're able to eventually say milk. If they're trying to go outside and the door is locked and they're crying over there, you can teach them open. So it's, and when they, they want access to something, that's where you get the most motivation. And that's where you'll really get opportunities to get speech in. Um, when a child initially communicates, the first communication a child has, the crying, it's always for access to something. I need milk, I'm hungry, I need this, I need that. So when you look at functions of language as well, the first reason that any child communicates is because they want something. So this is the best place to start teaching speech. And then the other way that you can give them access to things is you let them earn what they want by completing less preferred tasks. So, okay, I know you really want the iPad. I have two sums that you need to finish and I will give you the iPad. So having that first finish this, then you get this. Even if it's something like brushing your teeth, um, sitting on the potty, anything of the sort, you can always have um, the items that they want as the consequence for completing a behavior that they did not want so much. Automatic, as I mentioned, it's a more difficult to intervene as it's reinforced by the action itself. The first thing we wanna look at is what sense um, is this child trying to stimulate and find a socially acceptable way for them to get the same stimulation or a safe way for them to get the same stimulation. An example is, Kids who like putting things in their mouth or chewing soil or, or, you know, that's the sensory, this stimulation that they're looking for. We know it's oral. It's something that's going on inside. So you could try things like chewy toys, chewing gum even. Chewing gum is a socially acceptable behavior for the most part rather than chewing soil or chewing your clothes. So that's something that I've also seen work very well in the past. <clears throat> if it's... Um, Something like banging their head, 
or something a bit more extreme in those areas, you also need to rule out medical. It's very, very important to make sure that if you see a new behavior emerge that was not there before, could there be a medical aspect that needs attention? So an example is if a child starts banging their head, things to look at could be, they could be having headaches, they could have a toothache, you might need to see a dentist, their eyesight could have changed. Those are some things that you must look at. Um, another example is children who start rubbing themselves down there. It's very, it's very common that parents are always like, oh my gosh, this is so inappropriate. Why is this child doing this? What's going on? Sometimes, honestly, it's a urinary tract infection. You need to get that resolved. Um, so it's important to look at if it's a new behavior, could there be something medical going on? Before you try any behavioral interventions for something new, please rule out medical because you don't want the child to be in any pain or suffering for any reason and you're there trying to change the behavior and it's only going to frustrate them more, okay? When you have ruled out medical and you figured out what is going on, the other way is to block and redirect the child with incompatible behaviors. What does this mean? An example is um, a child who likes putting their hands in their mouth a lot. You could block before they're able to put their hands in their mouth and tell them, clap your hands. If I'm clapping my hands, I cannot also be putting my fingers in my mouth at the same time. So being able to come up with creative ways to give them something to do with that part of their body that will not allow them to do that unwanted behavior at the same time. So if it's something like, um, touching themselves down there. I know that's a big thing that comes up. You can teach them keeping their hands in their pocket. If it is, um, what are some other examples? Spinning, you can teach them, I need you to sit right now. So rather than giving too much attention to the unwanted behavior again, you're blocking it, you're redirecting it to something appropriate and you're giving them praise for completing that appropriately. I, I hope everyone's Okay, so far, we've just been through a lot. <clears throat> so we're looking at functional communication training. <clears throat> One of the things I need to point out as well is if you look at communication and problem behavior, you'll see it's like a seesaw. When communication is very low, you'll see problem behavior will be quite high. And you can just imagine this, if I was to, let me not say I was to, but if you were to have your mouth taped shut for a day and you're not able to give gestures, you would get so frustrated, you might even punch out at someone, right? It is extremely frustrating not being able to communicate effectively. We communicate from the minute we wake up to the minute that we go to bed, whether it's on your phone, whether it's talking to people, it is human nature. And when you're unable to communicate effectively, that is going to give rise to problem behaviors. So if you wanna see the problem behavior going down, you need to work on communication. And some of the examples on increasing communication we've been through, when you know that they want something, that's where the first communication begins. You start by teaching them how to request for things that they want because it's when they want something and they cannot tell you and you're not understanding what they want that you're gonna see that problem behavior come up. Okay. 
So how do we communicate? There's many ways. There's speech, obviously. There's sign language, as we can see Maitha doing as well, very, very proficiently. You can have pictures, you can have gestures, pointing at things. Those are all different ways that we can communicate. So don't restrict yourself to just speech. If speech is not working for a child at that moment, find a way that they can communicate and express what they want. Speech could come after that. Um, I've already been through that. So what happens with problem behaviors then is you have the antecedent. You can see up here, I have the antecedent, the behavior and the consequence. And what is in the antecedent is the motivation or the trigger for a certain behavior. <clears throat> the behavior is a means to obtaining a certain goal. So an example is I'm thirsty and my goal is I need to get water. It's not accessible for me independently. So I'm going to do something. What are some things I can do? I can go and kick mom. Maybe she'll understand that I want water. I can ask for water. I can take 20 chairs and try and pile them up to reach the glass to get some water. Um, there's so many things that can happen in that scenario. And whatever helps the child obtain the goal, that's the consequence, is what they will learn as this is the behavior I need to do to obtain that consequence. Something that now we've been through a few times, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So if the child is in a position where they want the cookies and they have to kick mom, and that is how they get the cookies, they throw a big enough fuss, they get the cookies. Next time they want the cookies, they're gonna come, they're going to throw the fuss. You don't get it straight away. They might try and add in a little bit of creativity and maybe pull hair at this point. And what happens is you see this inappropriate behavior increasing because if they're not using appropriate behavior to reach their goal, they're using inappropriate behavior, yet they are getting their goal. That is gonna again, keep on increasing. So they're gonna keep learning that this is what I need to do to achieve what I want. So to change that, that needs to be cut off entirely. If a child is doing an inappropriate behavior to achieve something and you keep giving them that, what goal it is that they want, that behavior will keep increasing. So that needs to stop completely and you need to start teaching them what is the appropriate way of achieving that goal. So if they no longer obtain the goal, through that inappropriate behavior, yet the only way they can achieve that goal is through the appropriate behavior, which you are going to teach them, you are going to reinforce, you are going to encourage, you're going to see the appropriate behavior increase because that is what is helping them get to their goal. I hope um, that makes sense because this is a very, very important concept in terms of trying to handle problem behavior and trying to teach them what's right and how, what are the alternative ways of you know, achieving your goal appropriately. Okay, so that's the bulk of what I wanted to go through in terms of how to handle problem behavior and those kind of issues at home. But a few other things that I really think are extremely important. One is routine. It is very, very important, especially at these times of the pandemic, 
that children who are at home have a routine. This helps with predictability. If I can predict what is happening and what's gonna happen next and what's gonna happen next, that is gonna reduce my anxiety. It just, it helps them be mentally prepared for what they need to do and you'll have less struggles with that. So you could have a visual schedule or a written schedule or a picture schedule that is able to show them, you're gonna wake up in the morning, you're gonna brush your teeth, then we're going to have breakfast, then we have 30 minutes of tabletop activities, then you can go and play outside for a while, then you get your iPad for 20 minutes, and we have lunch and so on. And you can repeat that. When you have consistency with that as well, they know it. They can know what's coming next and it just helps. If you need extra help on top of that, you can use timers. You can download numerous apps on your phone that have timers where they can see that this is um, how much time I have for this activity, this is how much time I have for this activity, and so on. Um, and it also helps increase independence. When they know what is predicted, so if they know that this is the time I brush my teeth, and even before mom tells me, I know that when I finish this at this time, I'm going to go brush my teeth. And especially kids on the spectrum, they're very, very good with routine and that predictability. It just helps calm them and they learn a lot more efficiently as well. You can use social stories, um, especially for new things, for difficult situations, preparing them for the unknown, for any kind of things that are out of routine now. Um, social stories are they're, they're short stories that can come as writing, in pictures, as videos. There's, there's numerous as well on YouTube that you can access. Um, examples are if a child is getting angry quickly. And this, this isn't only for kids on, uh, with developmental disorders. It works great even with typically developing kids. And they, you know, it just helps understand what's happening. It's great for social skills as well. So if they're trying to play on a playground and they don't know how to approach the situation, so you find a lot of, a lot of kids go and they'll push another child. And really what they're trying to do is join in a game, but they just don't know how. So you could teach them, when I feel like playing with other children, I can go and tap them on the shoulder and I can ask them, can I play with you? And they may say yes, in which case I can join. If they say no, it's okay. I can go another time or find somebody else to play with. That's an example of a social story. Yeah, so anything that you're struggling with, you could find numerous resources on social stories online. And then the other thing also that goes along with that is just talking to your child. Like we mentioned before, they understand a lot more than we think. So talking them through what is happening, um, what needs to go on, like the whole thing with coronavirus as well. You can talk to them about, this is why we need to wear a mask. You can demonstrate it. You can um, you know, teach them how to do these things. Also, some of the things with that I've, I've come across is the child wearing a mask, especially teenagers and stuff. They're not, you can't expect a child to go from never wearing a mask in their life to wearing it the whole day. Starting slow, giving reinforcement for that, encouraging it. Um, so that they're doing it a little bit more time every day to a point where they can actually cope with it. 
I mean, personally, it drives me crazy and I'm sure I'm not the only one. It's not easy having that thing on. So imagine for them when they also have different sensory um, sensitivities. So just being cautious about that. And then the other thing is follow through. <clears throat> one, in order to follow through, you have to prove to your child that they can trust you. That means you say something and it means that you will do it. So if I promise you that you complete two sums and you get your iPad, if they complete it in a minute, that doesn't mean that you should add on more work before they get their reward. You said something, stick to it. On the same way, if they don't complete a task and you had a consequence for that, that they don't get TV time if they don't do something, and yet they don't do it and you decide, ah, you know what, just sit in front of the TV now, it's okay. Again, they're going to learn that, hey, so-and-so says mom or dad or whoever it is says things, they don't always mean it, so eh, whatever. So you need to make sure that you follow through with what you say. In the same way, if you give the child an instruction, when you wanna teach them how to follow instructions and you're telling them, come sit or pick this up, and then you don't follow through with it. You say it 20 times and then you go and do it yourself anyway. That is not gonna teach the child anything. You need to make sure that you give an instruction once and that you follow through with it. That means if they run away when you say, come sit, you go get them and you bring them and you tell them, hey, this is to sit, okay? Pick that up, they're not picking it up. Go get their hand, put your hand over their hand and help them to pick it up. This is how you teach them. Um, if you don't follow through with what you say, they don't have to follow what you say at all. Okay, those are things that are really, really important as well. It teaches instructional control, which helps them learn so many other things. Some of the basic things that children need to learn are following instructions, matching, imitation is very important. Once they have those skills, you can teach them many, many more skills through that. Okay, um, I've thrown a lot of information at you guys. Um, I hope it all made sense. To wrap up, understand that behavior is communication. When a child does something, usually there's a means to it. There's a function to it. And you need to understand what the function is and what they're trying to say. And you can help them express that appropriately. You can hypothesize why something is happening by tracking the ABCs, which you now know about. Based on why a behavior, you think a behavior is happening, you can put in a basic intervention to help reduce or increase it. So if it's something unwanted, you're going to reduce it. Something you want to see happening more, an example is sitting on the potty, you know how to increase it now. You're going to use reinforcement-based procedures for what you want to see increase. Communication is the root of many problem behaviors. You can look for opportunities to increase communication as an alternative to unwanted behaviors. And that wraps up the presentation so that we can move on to some more questions and answers. I hope you all enjoyed that and that there's no one sleeping out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Kuja. Yes, that was, it was a lot to take in, but at the same time, very eye-opening. Personally, it made, the more you spoke, the more I could actually picture what we go through in the house, what it means, 
and um, why why some behaviors actually crop up. So it has been quite quite helpful. Um, and we have a few questions in the in the box. So I will start with the first one. Uh, which just give me one second. So is uh, my son is doing a BA, the uh, hyphen VB. We introduced multiple verbal stimuli three months ago, but he's finding it difficult to discriminate between two stimuli. E.g., I hold up an apple and ask, what is this? He says, apple. I ask, what do you do with it? He says, eat. After several cycles, I ask, what do you do with it? He says, apple. Kanshi, could you please suggest a strategy that can help him discriminate verbal stimuli? Okay, so what you're describing that he knows the answers, he's able to say apple, and then he's become very accustomed that you ask, what is this, an apple? What do you do with it? You eat it. So when you've done that so many times, it has become quite rude. So now when you ask, what do I do with this? And you've started in a different way, he's now saying apple because that's usually the first answer. It's like when you teach children, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and you keep teaching them and then you ask them, where, where are your knees? And they'll always start with the head because that's just how the, the routine that they have formed, they formed a behavior chain on how those responses happen. So it's important to keep mixing things up. So when you wanna break that now, you're gonna start by just giving him the answer. This is an apple, I eat it, what do I do with it? So you're going to prompt E, before he can even say apple, you're giving him the first sound E. So you're breaking that response chain and not letting him go into the first answer to keep that routine going again and again. And it will take a few trials before you break that and then you're able to mix things up and be cautious as well as you go along. Teach one thing, teach the second thing, mix them up. Teach the third thing, mix it up. Teach the fourth thing, mix them all up so that they're able to learn how to listen to what the exact instruction is and answer that rather than learning a behavior of, this is the answer I give first, then second, then third, depending on what, regardless of what is asked. <clears throat> I hope that helps. Yes, yes, that does. I think it's just the same way we said about routine. So if this starts automatically, I know my answers are gonna be ABCD. All right, then we have another one. My son is five years and he's hyper and an autistic boy. My question is, does wheat gluten foods trigger the condition? I love that question because it's something that I get asked, I think every single time I've done a presentation and it's such an important thing. Um, I actually need to draw diagrams for you to explain that um, the best that I can. So this is the whole world. Excuse my lack of artistic talent. <laughs> that is the whole world. And we have all the people in the world there, okay? Some of those people have allergies to eggs. Okay. Some of those people have allergies to gluten. Okay. Some of those people have allergies to pollen, they get hay fever. Some of those people have allergies to milk or casein. Some of those people have allergies. You get what I'm getting at, right? Mm -hmm. 
We are a very diverse human population and everyone is unique and everyone is different. Now, within this world, we have same people who are on the autism spectrum, okay? And some of them will have allergies to milk, some to eggs, some to gluten, some to pollen, some to whatever this allergen is, some to whatever this allergen is, and some will have no allergies at all. So what happens that makes us feel that gluten results in this hyperactivity and behavior issues? When you have an allergen to something and you are not able to communicate, we know one of the biggest challenges with autism is communication. If you cannot tell someone, I'm not feeling okay. So gluten, for example, causes a lot of tummy issues. It, it causes bloatedness, it can cause diarrhea. Milk is also a big culprit that does those things to the tummy. You're uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable, you cannot express you're not okay. You're caregivers, your families not understanding that you're not feeling okay, you're going to try everything you can do to feel better. This could be running around, this could be lying on your tummy, it could get so bad that you want to pull mom's hair because she doesn't get your pain. And what happens when you take out the allergen is the child feels better. Oh, suddenly my stomach is not hurting. Now I have the energy. I can actually listen to what you are actually telling me because I'm not consumed with this pain. So that is where you see when diets come in and they're helping a lot of kids, there's a lot of allergens that they're dealing with that make them uncomfortable. And that results in all kinds of different problem behaviors. Um, a big way of knowing that is if you see any kind of tummy issues, diarrhea, bloatedness, gas, constipation, skin rashes. When you see any of those things, you know that there's something going on. The child is probably struggling with an allergen. What do you do after that? <clears throat> like I mentioned, you're not going to take out 20 things or add 20 things in one go. You're going to start a food diary. In the food diary, you will have the date, what the child has been eating and what the behaviors have been like. And you're going to track. Remove one thing at a time. Do this in a scientific way. You remove one thing at a time, observe for a week. Or if you're looking at adding in supplements or adding in something new, medication, anything, medication, if it's for a medical reason, please don't hesitate. But for other things, you add in one at a time and observe for a week. So you'll always add and remove one at a time while observing. And what that helps is you will identify what the culprit is. So you're not gonna start like the example I gave in the beginning by removing 20 things and adding 20 things. Then every time you wanna see a change, you have to make all these drastic changes one at a time and you'll be able to observe. So going back to the question, um, he's hyper, he's five years old. It is not necessary that it is gluten or wheat that is triggering the condition. But if he's also having other issues like maybe tummy issues or something that you can see, then you might try the diet by adding or removing one thing at a time, observe. You also don't wanna restrict the child so much. There's once I had a consultation with a parent who had been told to remove, there was gluten, there was wheat, there was uh, gluten, casein, eggs, soya, and then a whole bunch of fruits as well and vegetables as well. And when this parent came to see me, this child was on the verge of malnutrition. 
that is not worth it. Yeah, you also need to be very cautious that you're giving the child a healthy, fresh, balanced diet. What is good for all of us? Healthy, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, protein, um, carbohydrates, these are all important. What is not good for any one of us? Sugars, artificial colors, artificial flavorings, shelf food, those things are not good for anybody. And if you can follow that, so long as the child doesn't have any specific allergies, it is the best thing. Okay, great. Um, is there anyone else with a question? Because I'm not seeing any as at now. What's your take on stimming, like hand flapping excessively? So to answer that, um, stimming again is an automatically reinforced behavior. So I'm doing this because it feels good. However, if the child can be occupied, their hands are busy, you're giving them things to do, um, you should be able to see that going down. And another thing with stimming is, I wanna mention that we all do it. We all have certain stims that we do to a certain extent. Some people might have a habit of clicking on their pen when they're working. Um, some people might tap their foot. We all have something or the other, but it's not that bad that it is interfering with our daily living. When it gets to a point of interfering with our daily living is where we feel that it needs intervention. So think about that with your kids as well. If they're hand flapping or something just when they're idle and they have nothing to do, but otherwise it doesn't really interfere with their life. Um, is, is it that bad? Do you really, you can always, again, socially significant behavior. So what is important to you as well? Look into all those things. If you do feel it is something that needs intervention, then you can look at what we were discussing, the blocking and redirecting, giving incompatible behavior. So if he's flapping his hand, maybe teaching him to clap his hands so that it's kind of a distraction and you move on to something else. Those are some of the things that you can do. Okay, um, let me, I'll, I'll ask, um, when we, when it comes to the sensory side of it, like the biting of clothes and chewing like on plastic and stuff like that, uh, and drooling, what, what sort of intervention would you advise for us as caregivers? So it, it usually goes um, case by case. We need to understand what exactly is going on. Um, for drooling, for example, we've worked very closely with our speech therapist, um, our other director of Kaisara Brook. She does a lot of this as well. So there's a lot of oral stimulation, then there's a lot of speech therapy that's involved in reducing drooling and a lot of occupational therapy as well when it comes to those kind of sensory issues. Um, so first thing is obviously you need to rule out medical. If it's something that's starting all of a sudden, maybe look if there's um, a tooth that's not okay, anything that they need checked first. When you can rule that out, you can go into those kind of interventions. So there's oral stimulation, there's sensory integration, um, which the occupational therapists are the ones who look at a lot. And then there's also the behavioral aspect where you can block and redirect and provide a lot of incompatible behavior so that the behavior can reduce. When it can reduce to a point that it is not interfering with daily activities, um, I would say you've done well there. Okay, and when we're introducing um, like the chewies, 
Um, how would you systematically do that so that they understand the essence um, if we're using it as a replacement of like chewing on other items? What would be the best way to, the way you're saying if they're flapping their hands, you, you digress and make them do something else. So how would be the best, the best way of, of doing that? So considering um, age, because it's not a young, it's not a young one. So we talk about ten years old. So of course, it, it's a bit difficult to introduce. Yeah. So again, first you need to understand what um, what kind of sensory stimulation is the child looking for. Is it that they're looking for an oral stimulation? Is it that they want the feeling of biting on something? Is it the taste of whatever it is that they keep putting in their mouth? What exactly is the sensory aspect that they're looking for? then you can substitute that. If it's something that they're looking to chew on, you might try and find a chewy that is able to, to satisfy that. And then you can introduce that gently. If you have it, you get those, like we, we have some that we sell which come around your neck like a necklace, so it's always accessible. Um, and you can introduce that that way. You can even rub it on their cheeks first so that they get a feel of it and then they can taste it. And then again, you're going to reinforce that behavior, hey, you put it in your mouth, good job. And also reinforce that you didn't chew your clothes today. That's amazing. You're gonna give them that feedback as well so they understand what they have done well and what needs to change. You can use social stories to talk to them about, this is a chewy, this is what it's for. It's gonna help you feel nice. You can chew on it and encourage it through that because changes are always difficult. And the other thing is consistency. If you're gonna start something and try it for a day, there's a very, very likelihood that it will not work. But if you can try something consistently for a while, one, two, three weeks, then you can decide whether it worked or it didn't work. Okay. Um, so we have uh, a question. Uh, my son is five years and when he wakes up in the morning, he wants to wear a particular cloth. And when I stop him, he can cry until I give it, until he's given. And it's the same cloth every day. Okay. Um, what, what, I wonder what aspect of those clothes he likes. Is it the, the texture? Is it the feel of it? Is it the colors? I'm not sure, but you might want to look into that and find something similar. Um, if you're gonna change them as well, maybe don't change everything in one go, start with just trying to change one of the things and following through. If you're gonna follow through, it's always difficult initially when you're breaking a behavior, you might hide if, so for example, if it's specific trousers, specific socks, specific t-shirt, you might put a different t-shirt that's as similar as possible, but it's different from that one. And that's the only thing you're gonna change and you're not going to give those clothes. So now he has learned that if I cry, I get what I want. And usually before behavior goes down, you see what's called an extinction vest. So it, behavior is gonna get worse and worse and worse before it gets better. So right now, if he's just crying, you might see some screaming. You might even see some aggression coming in, but if you are consistent, you will see that behavior going down. But be sensitive to the child as well. This is something that this, this five-year-old is holding on to so tight. So if you're gonna make it change, start with a tiny little change one at a time and make it gradual from there. When he realizes that I, I wore something different today and the world didn't come to an end, 
they will slowly start adjusting as they go along. And you're gonna really reinforce that as well. When they finally get it on, you're gonna tell them, wow, you look so amazing. You look so handsome. I love what you're wearing. I love how you put it on and give a lot of praise for that. So that in the future as well, they're more likely to try something. Awesome. Um, so we have another one. Uh, my son used to bite when he's irritated and now he has moved to pressing his chin on up. How can I make him stop that? It is very painful when he does that and he's four years old. Yeah, I've heard this one before as well. Um, so you need to look at the functions. So this is a typical example of you need to start collecting ABC data. What is happening before he's pushing his chin on you? What's happening after he's pushing his chin on you? What do you think the function of the behavior might be? Is he doing it when he's not had attention for a while, so he comes and he pushes his chin and then you yell at him and that's his way of getting attention? Or is he doing it when you're bringing on activities that he doesn't enjoy, so he's trying to get out of it? Does he do it when he wants something and you're not giving it to him? So you need to figure out what the function of that behavior is and then put the intervention into place as we had discussed. Um, teach him, give him a way of communicating so that rather than hurting you, he can either ask for what he wants, ask for a break, um, get your attention appropriately, whatever it is that he's trying to, you can figure out the function to be. So this is one that requires a little bit of investigation. There is also no straight answer to that until you know why. Okay. Wow, I, I can say I feel like I've gone for a master class today. I'm not seeing anyone. <laughs> I'm not seeing uh, another another question. So um, I would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, for those who are requesting for the slides, we will ask her to share with it. And I've said you could please drop drop in your contact so that at least you can put you on the mailing list and also let you know what, the, what we have next. Okay, a question just came in. So I have a nine-year-old with Down syndrome. Uh, oh, she says it's a comment. She says she appreciates our initiative. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so you can, you can also catch up with, for those who joined us late, because I noticed uh, we have like 10 to 20 guys who joined us a bit late. We shall be sharing the same video presentation on our YouTube channel. So kindly do subscribe so that you're able to also catch up with what we have had before and uh, what we are coming, uh, what's uh, coming up ahead. And um, Puja would like to say thank you, thank you, thank you very much for taking your time. I know you're very, usually very busy and you're one of the hard people to find. So I'd like to launch a poll. I hope today it will, uh, it will agree. So kindly just select if this session was beneficial, let us know. If you feel more empowered to cope with the pandemic challenges of our children behaviors, kindly also select that. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Kindly select so that we know. Also on the DM, you can let us know if you are okay with the Saturday and the timing that we have because we notice also we'd like to have international speakers uh, like next week. We know what we, the challenges we faced um, with the educationists last week. So next week we will be having our session around 6 p.m. Uh, that will be part two on at home schooling and education. 
And then, uh, Puja, there is a question that has come just before we let you go. Well, so someone has asked, uh, what do you have to say about grinding of teeth as a behavior? So that, that, is, that is one of the other questions that we have. I'll be closing the poll in another one minute. So kindly just share with C so that we can be able to see. Uh, so far, everyone has said it is beneficial, Puja, so thank you very much. And uh, yes, uh, they all feel more empowered that they are able by attending this session. All right, so we will be ending our poll. And that is our result. So 100% yes and 100% yes. So I believe at least we're doing something right. And we're glad for that you took your time to join us. So Puja, over back to you, kindly guide us on uh, the grinding. Okay, so grinding of teeth, um, we need to figure out, number one, is it something medical? So is the child grinding their teeth because they're feeling pain? Um, is there a cavity? Is there something somewhere that needs to be addressed before you can look into something else? So first thing I would recommend seeing a dentist if you haven't recently to rule out anything um, medical. Once that has been done, you need to figure out what is the function of it. When is the child grinding their teeth the most? Is it when they're idle and doing nothing else? Um, is it something that's happening during meal times? Um, you need to figure out when it's happening, what's happening around that. Is it that he does the grinding of teeth and that's when he's getting a lot of attention, stop doing that, or he's doing it when he's nervous. And you can figure out the why again, then you'll be able to put in the correct intervention. So again, we need to rule out medical and figure out why so that we can put the appropriate intervention into place. And if it is something that is affecting his teeth, so I would recommend seeing a dentist anyway, because grinding the teeth too much, also known as bruxism, can affect your teeth and grind down the surface, which can lead to sensitivity and a whole lot of other issues. And in that situation, they might even need a mouth guard. So definitely see a dentist to start with. Um, I can, if you want, I can share my contacts one last time so that yes. everyone can just, um, in case you didn't get a chance to get them. Yes, can you share so that at least uh, for those who'd like to, if you could, for the sake of those who joined us late, just go over again what ABA is and the ABCs, because I have noticed like we have majority of guys who joined halfway and there is a point to make a reference. And I'm sure <laughs> there are people who are wondering what is ABC again? Yes, kindly. Okay, no problem. Um, let me get that up. Just give me one second. <clears throat> okay, so we talked about behavior, and behavior is anything that can be measured or observed. So crying, eating, talking, walking, smiling, um, all the hand movements I do when I'm presenting, these are all different behaviors that can be observed, and they can be measured. Um, a good way to look at that is the dead man's test. If a dead man can do it, so for example, lying still and doing nothing is not a behavior that we want to observe and measure. Um, behavior changes. It can increase or it can decrease. So sometimes we need some behaviors to go up 
like potty training, like academics, like following instructions. And sometimes we need behaviors to go down, such as screaming, maybe crying, um, things like that. So ABA, uh, we give a very, the official um, definition. It's the science in which tactics derived from the principles of behavior are applied to improve socially significant behavior and experimentation is used to identify the variables responsible for the improvement in behavior. And to break this down, what we mean by it's a science is it has collected a lot of evidence over time from different places in the world, from different people. And all that data that has been collected shows that these procedures work. And they can repeat the same thing and get the same results. So we know it has evidence backing it up and that's why it works. What we mean by we use it to affect socially significant behavior is we're going to target behaviors that are important to you. Um, there's no point in a behavior analyst saying, I think we need your child to start working on academics and we need them to do A, B, C, D, whereas your priorities are one, two, three, four. Um, we need to look at what is important to you and your family so that when we put interventions into place, they are useful for you. Identifying variables responsible. So it's important to know what exactly works. Um, so the example that I gave earlier was diet. If you remove 20 things from a child's diet and you add 20 supplements from a child's diet and you do see a change, you will not know what specific thing caused that change. So it's important to identify one thing at a time and understand what creates that change so that you know what to do in the future. Okay, ABA helps with every, so many different things. Um, everything from self-help skills, reducing problem behavior, emotional skills, um, academics, safety, vocations, and so on. Um, I know I saw someone asking for success stories earlier. Um, at Kaizora using ABA, we have numerous, everything from kids who have integrated back into mainstream education successfully. We have those doing their internships at Safaricom, and I'm talking things like data entry, pretty amazing stuff, um, speech development. We have um, redu reduction of problem behavior all the time. So there's, there's a lot of success around that. And then we went through these concepts. So just to touch upon the first one again, ABCs of behavior. Antecedent, A is for antecedent. Antecedent means what happened before. B is the behavior, which we've been through. And C is the consequence. The consequence is what comes after the behavior, okay? And these influence, the antecedent and the consequence both influence the behavior. You can look at the consequence and think about it as food for the behavior. Whatever is happening after a behavior feeds the behavior. So if you see the behavior going up or going down, the consequence is influencing that result. Okay. Um, Sylvia, do you want me to go over more or? <laughs> Sorry, you're unmuted and hear you. 
Okay, yeah, I, I think that is a good intro just for the sake of those who joined us late. That is essentially what I wanted guys to understand about the ABC because the, um, the, they were asking and uh, it, it looked uh, weird that, okay, I just joined, what are we talking about? Just so that they could catch up. So you've done a very good job at that. Thank you very much. I'm seeing a lot of people asking for us to share the presentation. So Pooja, you'll share with that, then we will channel it down. You've seen her contacts also. You can reach out to her if you're considering um, joining the program. And at uh, the same time, we shall be uploading the same video uh, for the entire session on our YouTube channel. And our audiovisual team, Mr. Sony, has posted the link to our YouTube channel. So kindly subscribe so that you're able to also see the other six, five sessions we've had before and help you prepare. So Puja, I'd like to say thank you, thank you, thank you. On behalf of all the parents, I know we always hear about the success stories, ABA, there's a lot of controversy also that has come up and cropped up with the same. And we appreciate your clarifying and also the support uh, that you've given on handling things one-on-one -on -one, because I appreciate that a lot so that it's not just, oh, I come, I talk, I talk, I talk, and then we, we say, okay, end of presentation, closed. <laughs> So that's actually brings the essence of why we call it a hangout, because we'd like to learn from each other. And yes, and you can see the presentation is there. She has posted it uh, for, for those who can access it on the chat. The presentation is there. We thank you very much for that. That was very fast and timely. Positive behaviors we should adapt to for us who like procrastinating. <laughs> also, if you'd like for us to always notify you, the same thing. And on your screen, as you can see, we have uh, Maita, who's always been a good friend and a sign language interpreter. We've had very many people who are challenged uh, of hearing and wanted to uh, access. So we that's why you'll notice we have had this and we will continue having it. Thank you, Maita, very much for being here and taking your time and actually volunteering to support us in this way, because uh, we all know sign language is not cheap. So thank you. Uh, next week, we shall be going back to education and kindly note for next week, our hangout will be at 6 p.m. The e-shot is out, we shall post it immediately. So please save the date and uh, make sure that you have noted it so that you do not forget so we shall be hearing from uh, Lady Clarence from the US so that we get to understand how it is, how they do it over there and see how we can also adopt some of these things and do it for our children here, especially at this time when things are quite thick and tough as we're trying to also um, grapple with everything that's going on. Um, so because there is no hand that is raised, I believe everyone is satisfied, there is no new question. So I would like to call our meeting to an end and once again say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, Uja, for this. I appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, thank you. So we thank you everyone for taking your time to be here. I hope you learned and you benefited and uh, everything is Kambamba. So say hi to your caregiver, to your children and uh, all, all that you, the all the ones you're taking care of, and don't forget to follow us also on Twitter. We always have uh, discussions going on during the week, and on Facebook, and also on Instagram. And for those who saw our activities this week, we still have two caregivers up who can benefit from sanitary towels for their youth 
we are having four months supply and also we have reusable sanitary towels for those who are comfortable with that. Kindly reach out, you can DM on any of our platforms because we're here to support you however best we can. So have a fabulous weekend and as always my party show, don't forget to take care of yourself because if you're not okay, your child will not be okay. So if you need to just sit back and relax, please do so, don't feel guilty. At the end of the day, remember, they will feel our energy, positive or negative. And some of these behaviors will also start cropping up just because of that. So don't forget yourself in the equation because you're the most important person in everything. All right? So have a fabulous weekend and pass our regards to your family. Thank you for your words again. And thank you, Maita, and the support team behind the scenes. We appreciate you very, very, very much. Thank you. Thank you.